is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Well, this morning we're going to continue our series on well-being. You enjoying the series so far? Slight delayed reaction there. So you're getting too comfortable in the chairs. Although I uh, wasn't around last Sunday, I know Caroline did a fantastic job. So well done, Caroline. Thank you for that. Looking at emotional well-being, I trust that you had some good conversations this week, thinking about that subject and discussing that maybe as a, as a life group. So this morning we move on to talk about relational well-being. So that's our title for this morning. If you're making notes, then your heading is relational well-being. And it's interesting that this topic landed on this weekend. That's interesting. Almost like we planned it. Only almost. Valentine's Day, which if you had missed it and need to know, is coming up soon. Uh, is a day when many of us do think about relationships. And for some of you, that will be celebrating a relationship that you are in. For others, it might be a bit of a tough time. It might be a difficult weekend. It might be being aware of a relationship that you hoped would happen and didn't, or relationships that haven't worked out, or maybe that you've lost. For others of you, it might be that nervous tension of a relationship that might possibly be. But whatever tomorrow may bring for you, whether it's a day of rejoicing or a day tinged with some sadness, perhaps, it is a reminder to us that relationships matter. And I don't just mean romantic ones. Relationships broadly matter. You know, God designed us for relationships, didn't he? That's how we're wired. That's how we're built. That's, that's how God has made us as human beings to function in relationships. That's how we're designed. Yes, relationships with him, relationship with him, but then also relationships with one another. You know, we're built for community, aren't we? That's how we're wired for community. We're not designed to just live life on our own. You, you might live on your own in terms of well, your, your, your house or flat or, or your room where you may be, but you're not designed to be and to live life just isolated and on your own. Rather, you're designed to be in community, in relationships with other people. Because those relationships will bring life to you. And you can in turn bring life to others. And make a difference to them. <clears throat> you know, you see right at the beginning of scripture that relationships really matter. Mankind is created for a relationship with God and with one another. And even God himself exists in community, doesn't he? Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And we're made in his image, designed to live in community. 
know, we have that vertical relationship between us and God, that desire for that relationship with him. And we have those horizontal relationships with other people. Again, there's a desire in us for those sort of horizontal relationships, those friendships, relationships with others. A study in 2002 found that the distinguishing factor of the happiest 10% of people, what distinguished them from everybody else? It was the strength of their social relationships. So relationships matter. Relational well-being matters. It's why we're talking about it today, with an aim of increasing our relational well-being. And for me, it's a, an unusual preach because I'm not opening scripture and saying, right, we're going to go through this passage and, and, and teach it in a way we would normally do, but rather we can look at some verses together and draw some truths out from a variety of places along the way. The Hebrew word shalom, that we normally translate as, what is we trying to translate as? Peace. It's all about relational harmony, unity, first with God and then with other people. It's a relational word. And we know, don't we? I'm sure you know from personal experience where there is not relational harmony, where there is discord or disunity, that adversely affects your well-being, isn't it? I'm sure most of us could think of examples where that's been true. Loneliness and poor social connections are said to be as bad for you as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. It has an impact on us, has an impact on our well-being. So when God said that it wasn't good for man to be alone, what was his solution? His solution was to create another for him to be in relationship with. Now, I know this is talking about marriage, but it also has a wider application. We are not meant to be alone. We keep coming back, don't we, in this series to uh, Elijah, and we find the story of him in 1 Kings chapter 19. And if we, we don't look at all the verses right now, but we've, we've, we've talked about this through the series. We've read some different verses together. And we find in 1 Kings 19 that Elijah reaches his point of desperation, his point of breakdown. Really? His point of burnout. And in 1 Kings 19, as we, we, we read the story, we see what God does. We heard uh, a few weeks ago that God's first solution for him is rest and cake. That's right, wasn't it, Adam? I learned something from your preach. Rest and cake. Rest and food. But after Elijah is rested and has eaten, God speaks to him, gives him some instructions and then he talks about how he needs to do a number of things. 
And then he, he t says to Elijah how he needs to find Elisha. Because Elisha is God's provision for Elijah. He's not just his successor. He's not just the person that's going to take over this prophetic mantle and represent God to the people. But actually, it's much more than that. It's much more than that. Elisha is God's provision for Elijah. It's relationship. It's providing somebody who can come alongside him. And, and yes, Elijah is going to train him and input him and, and show him what it is to be the prophet of God. But more than that, he's providing a friend. He's providing relationship for him. Part of God's solution for Elijah was human relationship and friendship in the shape of Elisha. So, do you agree that relationships matter? Is that, is that okay to, to agree on that? We find that in scripture. We know that from personal experience. So therefore, your relational health is important. So, you remember those dials that we had on the screen the first week? We looked at this subject and we thought, we said, Let, let's measure our well-being in a number of areas. You know, physical well-being, emotional well-being. Oh, there it is, as if by, by magic. Thanks, guys. I wonder if we were to look, if you were to think about your relational dial this morning, where would it be? Would it be somewhere sort of barely off zero over here? Would it be somewhere in the middle, like the example there? Would it be way around on the other side, actually doing well? What would it be like for you? How is your relational well-being today? Some of you were with us a few weeks ago, well, a few months ago now, when we had our first Sunday back here at Quad after the lockdown. It was last September. And having been locked down, locked up and unable to meet in person for around 18 months or so, we were very back, glad to get back in the room and worship God together in person, weren't we? Some of us were. Question. Can you, this is dangerous for a preacher, okay, so I'm, I'm really trusting you guys now. Can you remember, those of you who were with us on that Sunday, Quickly look back in your notebooks. Can you remember what I spoke on on that Sunday? First Sunday back, meeting together. Yeah, we had the Sundays uh, at uh, Ridgeway on the field in the summer, which was great, a lot of fun. Our first Sunday back here in September, what did I preach on? Jesus. That's, that's actually a pretty good answer. That's, that's generally the answer to every Sunday school question, isn't it? Loving one another, thank you very much. There's a prize over there. Absolutely. Thank you. Loving one another. What was the passage? This should be an easy one. Acts. If in doubt, the answer is Acts, indeed. Loving one another. Loving one another. I wanted to call us afresh to love one another. And you're quite right, the passage was Acts, Acts chapter 2. Acts 2.42 says this in the NIV. 
they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. The New Living Translation puts it like this. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. The message puts it like this. That day about 3,000 took him at his word and were baptised and were signed up. Great phrase, isn't it? Signed up. They committed themselves to the teaching of the apostles, the life together, the common meal, and the prayers. Now each each of those three different, slight different translations of Acts 2.42 give us a window on a different part of that verse, don't they? We know that they devoted themselves. We talked about being devoted before. We think they were devoted to the teaching and to, to fellowship. What does that mean? Well, they were devoted to sharing in meals. Not just the Lord's Supper, that included, but to having meals together. They were devoted to the life together. We sometimes use that phrase, don't we? Living life together. That's what they were devoted to. That importance of community. And as we gathered here back in, in September, that's what we looked at, our first Sunday back in here. Why? Because it's so important. So important to us. Loving one another, the importance of community, is where the church has something to really offer, to really make a difference. The Christian community is, is not just a group of like-minded friends. It's not just a group of people who might agree with some certain statements, some doctrine, a statement of belief perhaps. It's the people of God, the gathered community that God has called together, yes, to worship him, but also to be together. We don't gather to songs or to leaders or even to his word in the Bible, but rather we gather to him. And it's him we have in common. And as such, we welcome all sorts of different people of different ages, different backgrounds, different life experience. Why? Because we're gathering to him. And we're not called to follow Jesus on our own. It's not an isolated experience being a Christian, but rather he has called us into community. We learn what it is to follow Jesus alongside others. Discipleship happens in the context of relationship. We become more like Jesus around one another, not following him on our own. That's exactly what Jesus did with his first disciples, isn't it? Think about it. what did Jesus do? He called the first disciples to follow him, to be in community together with him. He called them into relationship. He didn't call them to follow a set of beliefs or doctrine. He called them into relationship with himself. And it's in this community that God cares for your relational well-being. Another question for you. How many one another's... Oh, my voice is going this way, isn't it? <clears throat> Try again. How many one another's 
can you find in the Bible? How many perhaps are there in the New Testament? That's an easier question. Any guesses? In the New Testament, how many one another phrases do you think you find? 10? 20? Higher than 20? 30? Higher? It might be 200 in Scripture. I'm not sure. I only wrote down the New Testament number. It's not quite 200. 59 times in the New Testament we're given instructions about our relationships with one another. So things like love one another, serve one another, prefer one another, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another, show hospitality to one another, admonish one another, wash one another's feet. Anyone? Spur one another on to love and good deeds. And so our list go on. 59 times in the New Testament we're given instructions about our relationships with one another. That phrase time and time again. It's important. It's community. Romans 15 verse 7 says this. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Read it again. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Think about it for a moment. How has Christ welcomed you? We use the phrase welcome. We're talking about coming into church. We even talked about a welcome team earlier. I mean, it's great we have a welcome team. I love them. They do a fantastic job. But we don't subcontract welcome out to just them. Actually, it's emboldened upon all of us, isn't it? But is it just saying hi to someone as they walk through the door? Is it just giving a smiley face? I mean, saying hi is important. It's the first step, perhaps. Looking happy is it's a good start. You're more likely to have a conversation with someone that's smiling at you rather than looks miserable. But the verse doesn't say, say hi to one another as Christ has said hi to you. He says, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. What a deep relationship Jesus has called you into. What Paul's saying here in this verse to the Romans and to indeed us is that we should welcome one another in the same way. The level of relationship that we have with one another should mirror the relationship that Jesus has with us. We should welcome one another. We should have the same degree of relationship with one another like he has with us, like he has called us into with him. So I wonder how deep are your relationships with one another? Now, I understand completely you can't have that level of intimacy and relationship with everybody but are you having it with some? Are you having it even with one other person? Jesus had different levels of connection with different people. 
And that's okay. It was good for him and it's good for us as well. So Jesus had the three, the 12 and the 72, didn't he? So there's Peter, James and John, the, the, the inner core, if you like, the three that Jesus perhaps spent most time with, invested in the most, were, were closest to him. Then there were the 12, the disciples that he called to follow him. And then you had the 72, that, that wider group that, that Jesus invested in, he taught and sent out on mission, but they didn't quite have the same access to him that the 12 had. There are different levels of connection. And then there was the crowd. And it seems that a lot of the time Jesus spent his time trying to get away from the crowd. Yes, he would teach them, but often he would withdraw, wouldn't he, to be what? To be with the twelve. Or be with the three, or indeed to be alone with his father. But there were different levels of connection there. The crowd, the 72, the 12, the three. And that's fine for us as well. That we have those different levels of connection. But I wonder, what's it like for you? Do you just have the crowd connection or the 72 connection? Or have you got the 12 or have you got the 3? Are there two or three other people that really know you well? That get you, that understand your world, that you can be completely yourself with, totally honest with and vulnerable. No mask being put up. They know you how you really are. And you know them how they really are. You do need that. You do need that. You need the three or even the one. And I'm not talking about marriage here. You know, I'm, if, if you are married, I'm assuming that your spouse is one of those three. Or hope that they're the one. Whether you're married or not, have you got those levels of relationship and friendship with others that you're sharing life with? How are you doing with that? Do you have that in your life? Let me talk about one way in which we can invest in those sort of relationships and be obedient to Scripture. Acts 2.46 says this, They broke bread in their homes and ate together, with glad and sincere hearts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. I've talked about hospitality before, but I don't apologise for talking about it again because I think it's part of relational well-being. It's something that God has given us to help us invest in relationships. Generous hospitality was... Clearly something that was part of New Testament life. Worked out in everyday living. I wonder, what is it like for you? What is it like for us? Most of us live what seems to be pretty busy lives a lot of the time. This is something that can easily get squeezed out if we're not careful. But I wonder if the reason it gets squeezed out is because we've misunderstood what hospitality means. Too often we can think of hospitality, and we, we read about it in Scripture, we see the early church, you know, they ate, ate together in one another's homes. We can think about it somehow equates to a come-dine-with-me experience. And we think, oh, it's an elaborate menu. It's posh clothes. It's the best china. It's fine wine. Now, I'm all for all those things, especially the last one. But that's not what biblical hospitality is. 
It's not about the best menu and the best cutlery, the posh tablecloth that only comes out once or twice a year for special guests. Biblical hospitality is not about that. It's not about another menu. It's about another plate. It's not about another set of cutlery. It's just another chair at your table. He's saying to somebody, hey, we're, we're out eating together at six. Do you want to come over and join us? It's not necessarily evening a whole necessarily a whole evening commitment. It might just be sharing food together and sharing life together and developing and investing in relationships as you do. That's the sort of hospitality that God calls us to. To show for the other, the visitor, the guest. The one who maybe is on their own or the one that you're investing in relationship and friendship with. Biblical encouragements on this seem pretty clear. And certainly for elders, we've got no excuse. It's very clear. Elders are to be hospitable. But listen, it's not that only elders do it, but rather it's a characteristic that all of us should aspire to. And Peter says in his first letter, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Underline that if you're making notes. And the writer of the Hebrews points out that by showing hospitality to strangers, you might even end up showing hospitality to an angel. Who knows? This was clearly part of everyday life in the early church. I wonder, shouldn't we make it part of everyday life for us? And as we do so, I believe it will increase relational well-being of ourselves and others. I think we're known for a few things as a church. I think the priority of worship, loving the presence of God, fantastic kids' work. There are a number of things that you know we're known as, we're known for as a church, I think. Wouldn't it be great if we were known for hospitality? Wouldn't it be great if when people were trying to describe Jubilee and talk about what it was like, that that was part of the language they used? You know, I think we do well at welcoming people on a Sunday. We don't always get it right. We're not perfect. But we, we work hard at trying to do well at that. But this is taking it to another level. Investing in relationships and friendships. I saw something on Twitter this week. A pastor describing a family in his church. And I saved it because it was relevant to what I was speaking. He says this. Bill's family joined our church. No one invited them to dinner. What did they do? They began inviting people over for meals. Today, most of our church has at least been invited into their home. They changed our church. Then he says this. Lord, help us be what we wish others would be for us. Say that again. Lord, help us to be 
what we wish others would be for us. I love that sentence. So easy, isn't it, to think, oh, no one's invited me over. I haven't been to anybody's home. And we can go into grumpy mode before I even start. Or you can be like Bill and his family and go, well, I could invite them over. And at least in this church, Bill and his family changed the very nature of that church and the environment that they were in. How? Just by doing what they were doing, inviting people over. Listen, this morning, I want to ask you, have we got any Bills here? Anybody want to be like Bill? Anybody want to be Bill and his family this morning? And go, yeah, I could do that. I could do that. How often do we just complain when actually what we should be doing is being what we would wish others to be for us? And friends, the more we do that, the more it will make a difference. And the more that will become part of everyday life for us. It's all part of relational well-being. There is so much more that we could say on this subject. We could talk more about loving others. We could talk about <clears throat> reconciliation and forgiveness. But we are out of time. And rather than try and pack some more in, in less than a minute, I think the best thing to do would be for me to stop talking and to pray. So for those of you who I sometimes talk about preaching and how you should end well and not have a sort of a car crash ending. That was a car crash ending. But praying isn't because we're expecting God to do something. So should we stand together? And I want us to pray as we close. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to pray for because I want you to be aware ahead of time for you to be saying amen in your heart to this. I'm going to pray for you if you feel relationally low this morning. I want to pray for you for deeper and stronger relationships. And I want to pray for you to be what you wish others would be for you. Is that okay? So let's pray together. Father, I want to pray this morning, firstly, for any who feel relatively low. Or if they were to draw out that dial on a sheet of paper and think about where they might measure themselves today, would be aware that it would be a low score. So I want to pray firstly, Lord, for any that would put themselves in that category, that you would come to them right now, and that they would be aware of how much you love them, how much that they are a son or daughter of the living God. And how much, God, you care for them and want relationship with them. I pray, Lord, that they wouldn't try and replace what should come from you with relationships with others. I pray that you would be, Lord, all that you need to be for them. So, Father, for any this morning that just are aware of need in their relational area I pray God would you meet that need but Lord as well as that I want to pray for deeper and stronger human relationships 
Lord, I pray for everybody in our church, Lord, that each of us will be able to say, yeah, we, we've got that one or two people. We've got that in our core of three or so people where we can really be honest and they really know us and get us and we can be the same for them. But I pray for each of us that we would have that level of relationship. Not with everybody, but with some. And Lord, I want to pray for any who know that that doesn't happen in their life right now. I pray, Lord, that they would be the ones that take the initiative and make the first step. They wouldn't sit back and wait for it to happen to them, but, God, that they would initiate something. Lord, I pray for lots of initiating conversations this week. I pray for increased friendship and relationship, increased depth in that, Lord. And Father, for, for each of us, I pray that we would be to others what we wish they would be to us. <laughs> that we would be the first to open our home. That we would be the first to lay an extra plate at our table. That each of us would be taking initiative and seeking to welcome one another as you have welcomed us. So, Father, we, we pray that you would do something in Jubilee. Father, you would make us a hospitable church, not just a friendly one, but a church where relationships are prioritised and valued, where you are at the very centre, and where we can be totally honest and vulnerable with others, to share where we're struggling, where life is tough and we need some help and support. Lord, would Jubilee be a safe place for that? Lord, for those who are questioning their faith and not quite sure how it all adds up anymore, God, I pray that we will be a safe place and there will be safe and encouraging relationships to encourage one another along in you. We ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for being with us, whether you've been with us here in Quad or with us online today. Thank you for being with us. Please don't rush off. We've got refreshments served in the box. So that's through the doors there. The room on your left-hand side, there is tea and real coffee. Hallelujah. Please do stay around and enjoy time with us. Have a great week. And uh, next Sunday, don't forget, Love Derby Sunday. So sign up if you haven't done already. And we're back here at Quad in two weeks' time. God bless you. See you then. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk and come along on any Sunday morning.